This podcast is supported by Siemens, your partner for industrial grade AI. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of our Industrial AI Podcast. My name is Robert Weber. My guest is today Sascha Bütterling from Supply Frame. Hello, Sascha. Welcome in the podcast. Hi. Thank you very much. We want to talk about supply chain, and I think you must have a few stressful months, right? You had a few stressful months. Not only months. Not only let's, months. Let's more talk about years. Yes. Okay. <laughs> please, please introduce yourself briefly to the listeners. Three sentences. Hello, my name is Sascha Bütterling, as mentioned from SupplyFrame and director for the enterprise SaaS business in the Dach region, of course, covering the, the SaaS solutions of SupplyFrame. Can you please explain your, your business model, SupplyFrame? What is it? Yes, supply frame in, in, in fact is the world's largest ecosystem for electronic components around the globe, which was originally built out of the idea of having marketplaces, vertical search engines. So the, the foundation of what we do today still is that supply frame is running several own platforms, mm -hmm. as mentioned, marketplaces, vertical search engines, where over 10.5 million engineers, procurement specialists, and also supply chain people are engaged every day. This, of course, is something where many people already take the value from, but over the time and in the last 10 years, it more and more grew to with the different platforms and there is a lot of good data behind. So all of this is connected in the back end, generating a large set of data. We're looking on over 650 million electronic components worldwide and every month in average, we capture over 20 billion data points around that what built the foundation of what we do with it. And how do you, do you get this data? So the, the data comes from, as mentioned, mostly from the platforms that we are running by our own, where component manufacturers want to be seen, where on the other hand, distributors are, are also engaged. So we, in, in addition to our own platforms, we have over 70 online resources connected in real time that feed us additionally. And the This is done typically by all the providers. What, what means interact on your platform? What kind of data do you get there? Most interaction is at the starting point, really bringing it up from a design perspective. So engineers can really use it and to perform a parametric mm -hmm. search as they are working on a new design. They can look for finding the right parts, getting data sheets, footprints, 3D models here. They can use everything for free and these are important value points for us as we know, for example, which parts exactly are used. And this later on builds the, the data foundation for what we do with machine learning and AI to really get out some insights and make them accessible in the solutions for companies. I come back later because you mentioned 22 billion data points per month. Yes. But these data are not structured. These are totally different data points, I think. Yes. How do you normalize these huge amount of data, different data types? This is exactly the important question behind it. And this is definitely the biggest work that is going mm -hmm. in the back end. The data model has expanded the last years and it still is, especially after the crisis, the last four or five years, it was very stressful. And uh, at the same time, uh, digital transformation initiatives at different companies are running so also the requirement on which data to have is changing so we have a permanently changing and expanding data model behind so new data 
new yes. well-known data, but new new data formats, new data uh, points, right? Both of them, yeah, of course. So some some of the requirements we can cover with existing data just re need to remodel the data behind it. Others are new requirements that come up, especially when it comes to risk assessment that companies are performing today. They have new requirements where at the moment you don't find really standardized data points for that. But This also comes back to supply frame is an ecosystem. So we also work closely with the component manufacturers and distributors. And they also have recognized that this is that there are new requirements, which are also a new way of quality criteria for their sales strategies. So they are also changing and improving that. And we are right in the middle of it to collaborate with both sides. And this is, especially if you talk about data usage and that, you need the ecosystem that really works from both ends where the one who's trying to consume also has requirements and the other side is trying to provide best data as possible. And both share data, both sides. In fact, both share share data, yes, but if you look more to the side of the solution users, it is more related that they are more consuming the data, yeah. but they define the requirements. These companies, these sub suppliers, do they also share stock data with you? Exactly. So Why? This is the interesting part and uh, the baseline. I mean, the, building this ecosystem has taken really years, as mentioned. The supply Frame has had a 20th birthday this year. Um, Congratulations. And yeah, thanks, thanks. Challenging times. <laughs> of, of course it is. But the building this ecosystem and the foundation has really taken this very long time. As mentioned, we're, uh, we're the largest ecosystem for that around the world and Building this took a lot of effort in the past, but brought us to the situation that component manufacturers want to be seen with their parts. So they are really providing us with the data and also the distributors as we run those marketplaces and so on. And you can expect... If you don't share, you are not on the marketplace on top level. Of course, for them, it's part of their sales strategy being seen. And in fact, that's important. Supply frame itself is not selling any electronic components. So we're just a marketplace where you can, or a vertical search engine where you can find what you need. Uh, and then you're guided in the right direction without us having any or giving any direction to it. So in this kind of way, we are neutral. Mm -hmm. We just help to, to find components or sources in the right way and then make use of it. But what is your, your business model? You are the development, uh, business developer or director for software as a service products right. at Supply Frame. How you earn money now? So the, uh, on, on that end is really companies that are manufacturing products with a high degree of electronics typically. Mm -hmm. So typically our customers are designing and mostly also manufacturing electronics. And the business model behind there is a SaaS solution. So they sign up for using the SaaS solutions that help them in the new product introduction phase. So really in an early stage of their product development to take a bill of material and get more clarity about it. What is the risk? situation cost situation and that's where the ai comes in right yeah this is where the ai comes in but also it was already in use before so there is a lot of predictive data there in the market especially when it comes to how is this supply chain developing 
This is especially important for for people that are in procurement and are doing, for example, a commodity management, like performing regular sourcing events per year, allocating the volumes of components with the partners they need during the next years, and also being in charge of making sure that the prices are well neg negotiated, mm -hmm. so the profitability of products is in shape. And they use that really to see where is the market going, what is the, the actual situation, but also reflect referring back into the design phase of a new product where you see, for example, that a, a microcontroller you have designed in is in the top 20 list worldwide of used microcontrollers. And if you see that the design in rate is over 120% higher than in the year before, where, while at the same time lead times are dramatically high, stocks are nearly not available and the price is growing. These are then indicators where they typically use then the techniques of finding right alternatives, second sources to design in at an early you phase. You have a recommendation algorithm to, to, to give him an advice. You can also use this part or this component or this supplier. Exactly. That's built in at this point. So there is some risk analysis mm -hmm. behind it. So also the system is helping and guiding with, uh, hey, these are the risk factors that should be considered for this part and in the complete bill of material. Mm -hmm. But at the same time offers, say, here are the alternatives that could be usable Of course, always should be validated by a design engineer in the end, but that really help people to build up a more resilient bill of materials mm -hmm. early upfront and also used in the technologies as we're connected with nearly 20,000 suppliers to start their sourcing events mm -hmm. right through our platform, get quick feedback mm -hmm. and have everything aligned into one collaboration platform. Let's talk about a little bit about the model and the AI. What role does the AI play? What do you do with the, the AI? Is it a prediction on price, on availability? What is the model doing? So mainly the, the most important part where machine learning and AI come to life for that are the predictions, of course, seeing where from where the design comes, demand index, and then really predicting also where it is going for the future. So as of now, we're looking over four quarters ahead to see where the market is moving on a um, kind of traffic light overview, but even more concrete on the next six months, we really have a, a prediction down to component level where where price, lead times, inventory, but also things like stocks are going due to the to live connections. We know what is going on today and mixing all the data or working out all the data which is available makes it even more predictive to have this future outlook. And what kind of model or what kind of algorithm you use there in this AI? The basic algorithm is the complex model behind, and as mentioned earlier, side by side to the standardization, also this is improving. Uh, the most important thing is that one thing is always having all these data points. The other thing is also having the expertise, especially in this domain, to really move that forward. So in the back end of what we are doing there are not only data scientists or specialists, but also a, a very broad team of industry experts, which domain are... Domain knowledge? You, you add domain knowledge to the model? Exactly. This is the domain knowledge which comes in from practitioners, people who have been formally enrolled in the industry that have been consuming data like this and we use their expertise on the other hand people from consultancy or analytics that have been in the industry for many years that help the system to understand how we could use and interpret this data 
what is the weight on data you get from your platform and the weight of experts' domain knowledge? Is it 50-50 or...? I would say it's closely 50-50 because without the domain knowledge, it is always hard to create a model out of it. Mm -hmm. The important part is also... That you can also manipulate the model. If you inform over the platform that you have a lot in stock and you have, not, you have nothing in stock, so it's easy to manipulate. Exactly, that could be, yeah. but therefore we also take a lot of data from very different sources mm -hmm. and compare that. I mean, you also need to say that there is partly, as we have so many resources, you partly also get, get data from many other data points. I see that the situation is bad, and then there is one data point coming from one source which looks much better than, and, than all the others. Also, this is built in into the model, so this automatically gets validated, and then also some experts could, could also jump in to also validate and see how that eventually could be impacted. Mm -hmm. Is it a neural network or what we are talking about? It's no neural network right now. It's probably something where it will hopefully develop in future as we try to spread more out with the ecosystem. And also, of course, today we are at the level of being predictive to the market, mm -hmm. where, of course, the future vision is more going into the way of prescriptive. Mm -hmm. Frankly speaking here, this is still a way to go because... If you think ahead, already the data we have today and the volume of this data, which needs to be worked out, is a lot. If you then want to move to predictive, it's even harder to apply that. And more aligned also with the strategies of each customer, which is using then the data. That's interesting. The customer, what requirements does the customer need to fulfill to be part of this solution, to use the solution? What kind of data do you have uh, he has to share at the beginning? In fact, it's an easy start, which was improved a lot during the crisis as You can imagine there have been many companies outside that said, okay, I need it and I need it yesterday. Um, so we made that available in a way that you can start with only a few master data points. Uh, important is that you also bring in your, your strategies, so which are in general the suppliers you want to focus on, which are the partners of today where you already… But this is on-premise, not in your… In your platform. So this is all in uh, SaaS solutions. Okay. Yeah. All based in, the, in SaaS solutions, of course, highly secured with every instance for every customer and all that stuff, because this is the, the secrets of all the companies, so it needs to be safe. But it can be fed by a lot of different uh, master data in many different ways. You don't need much to start. In fact, some basics around, as mentioned, mm -hmm. supplier base where you focus mm -hmm. on so that the system can help also a little bit to guide into the right direction. I always describe that it's, the solution itself is the door to the world. You can see, find everything. But if you really look down on what the solutions are made for to designed to source intelligence and is really following also the strategies of the company to ensure profitability of a product and that the product or that the supply chain doesn't get disrupted. This is then always the point where it is important to apply the strategies of the company and this is what needs to be trained at the beginning to the system. On the other hand, while using this, this is also an automatic learning curve. So still when the companies are using the solutions, they are learning from all the decisions that are taken and try to improve, automate and assist in future to guide that in the right direction with future builds of materials that are processed. Your typical customer, I think it's a mid-sized machine building company and not a big corporate because the big corporates have their own strategy to do that or, or I'm wrong. 
I would say it's more the really the large ones. So the okay. typically one are really the large ones which have a, a high degree of electronics if you look on a product. And for example, they have, I would say typically starting at 20 to 30% of their products are electronics, but could be even more. And yeah, we have mid-sized, but of course also large ones. The, the larger they are, the more they have the strategies. Mm -hmm. But this is what the solution is built for. Also training it to the strategy, where to focus and stuff like that. But assisting with all these real-time market knowledge, which is then embedded in the solution and the magic point behind it is that not only the external market intelligence is really a helper and enables digital transformation you need to bring it in context with everything that you know already today in the company mm -hmm. the strategies and so in that way the teams really can collaborate on exactly this information on everything what the company is focused on I want to come back to COVID because I want to know how robust is your model at the end? How robust was it after the first lockdown, shutdowns? How fast were you back in the swing of this model? Yeah, it's uh, of course it has been very challenging time at this point because so so much was ongoing and if you really look back we've also learned and improved a lot during that time. I would say that the model is very robust today. Looking back, I mean, ten years ago we really started to use that and this was really the early steps, and there was hard to predict anything in a good way. Over the last decade, we really have taken huge steps forward, and I would say as COVID started and the whole electronics crisis. And you had a lot of unforeseeable events that impacted the whole world of supply chain. Um, yeah, there were many things at the same time, but we also try to, to build that in. And I would say we're already one step ahead mm -hmm. today again. Even you don't know all the geopolitical circumstances that you see today in the market. Supply chains getting more complex. Mm -hmm. Risk analysis is changing in all the views of the different companies. This always changes something and you need to fairly say you can't predict everything that is uh, that is coming up. But there is, as mentioned, a huge team behind that tries to also translate events that are happening into possible impacts that then could be used also by the machine learning and AI to really apply that also to a data model. So in, in fact, I would say it's a robust model today where many companies are already relying on use it really to proactively steer their sourcing activities. At the end, I want to have a little outlook because I think one topic is pricing and uh, availability, but I think the next step is transparency of the supply chain. Uh, how you support this transparency to your customers? Or is it possible to do that? Already today, you have a little bit more transparency in it than it was before due to the fact that uh, you really can see how the market is developing. This is this predictive analytics. Yeah, Transparency you means supplier transparency. I mean, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the transparency itself, and this is the question that comes up more often, how can I see also the dependencies mm -hmm. of my suppliers on different locations in the world, sub-suppliers and all the stuff. So the model, this was one thing that I mentioned with the model is expanding. And this is information which is partly available by the case by case by different companies, but there is no central data model at the moment where it could really do that in this large volume. Remember, we're 
over 650 million components. So you need to find something like a standard which is working there. And this is again referring a little bit back to what we do as we're in this ecosystem and talking to both sides of the supply chain. So the component manufacturers, but also the companies that are using them and manufacture the products, trying to bring that together and also form the outlook for the future. What should the data model look like to really add more value to it for both sides? And one key thing behind that is also if you look back to the crisis, what has happened there, a lot of activities in the past, you saw that typically from, from a purchasing perspective, so from a sourcing perspective, your companies had a very few partners, but many suppliers, they, they, they challenge them on the pricing. So the less you shared with them upfront, the better you could challenge them on the prices. As the market has changed now, many companies have recognized that building close partnerships and eventually also partner during development phases to get also from a technical engineering perspective a better support from their suppliers is something that could be really helpful and on the other hand also being there and forming a partnership in case of doing some allocations and stuff like that brought up a huge extra value where we are connecting the companies through our ecosystem. So at the end I want to hear your prediction for the next six, seven, eight months <laughs> what is your model the, the, the model is telling that uh, still we're on, on a good way so if you really take the outlook at the moment probably many have already acknowledged that in the uh, in the news so for consumer electronics uh, a lot of is coming back so in many of the commodities where we have in focus we see that prices lead times are coming are coming more back to a better level so it eases out at for for some industries let's say other industries will be still heavily challenged also in the future like aerospace or especially automotive uh, for them it's really still hard times and as the industry especially automotive is moving more to electric and the electrification mm -hmm. so the, the number of electronic parts in the cars is still raising that makes it even more complex also for the future and here is really it will take time until more capacities for creating or manufacturing these components that then could be used are there so they still will have challenging times over the next 12 to 18 months minimum until some new fabs for for components are there thank you very much that was a pleasure same many thanks <laughs>